1: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett,
2: and I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, did you read about that explosion at the French cheese factory? Is there a pun at the end
1: of this question?
2: Debris was everywhere. <laughs> Debris was everywhere. I love brie. Debris was everywhere. I
1: think you're crackers, though. <laughs> I can pun. I just don't like to pun. Uh,
2: you don't. Oh,
1: no. Well,
2: cal fromage. <laughs>
1: Give us a call, end the madness, 877-929-9673, email words at waywardradio.org, talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words.
3: Hi, my name is Michelle Janin, and I'm calling from Indianapolis.
1: Hi, Michelle, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you.
2: What's going on? Well,
3: my daughter was home for the holiday, she lives in San Francisco, and we were driving in the car and just chatting, and um, I brought up a mutual friend of ours, and I said, you know. She's pretty outspoken and direct. She's kind of a rabble rouser. And my daughter said, wait, wait, what? Rabble rouser? Don't you mean rebel rouser? Oh. And I said, no, I think it's rabble rouser. But then she said, we got to call away with words and get this sorted out. <laughs> so that's why I'm calling <laughs> that's today. That's great.
1: So just to be clear here, you're saying R-A-B-B-L-E, rouser, and she's saying R-E-B-E-L, rouser.
2: That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rabble
1: versus rebel.
2: Mm-hmm. And what did you mean by that? Well, um, you know, someone who's blunt and direct, but
3: even more than that, you know, she's this woman's not afraid to kind of mix it up and challenge the status quo and, you know, try and bring people over to her side or her way of thinking.
2: Right. And so your daughter thinks it's rebel. Rebel rebel. Well, she
3: thought it would make sense because, you know, rebels kind of do the same thing, right? They often go against the status quo and mm-hmm. they maybe try and change minds or cause problems. That was her thinking
2: okay all right well you're right and she's uh, not right <laughs> you can listen to her
1: mama <laughs>
2: <laughs> well we we kind of
3: both agreed that probably rabble was right, but but rabble had such a good feel to it that we thought it was worth uh, mm-hmm. asking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of clever. That, I mean, we've had the word rabble in English for centuries now, and originally it meant um, just a confused collection of things. Uh, you know, it could be like a swarm of insects or a pack of animals or just a, a confused jumble of things, and rabble also came to mean um, a bunch of people, like like a crowd. A mm-hmm. motley bunch, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so if you're rousing that that bunch, that rabble, then you're you're inciting them to action.
1: hmm Rousing right. them, meaning to wake yeah. them up from yeah. their stupor, sheeple. And...
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The rouse part is really interesting to me because originally it was a term in falconry.
1: Ooh, interesting.
2: Yeah. There, oh, there really? are a lot of those terms in English that come from falconry and it and it rousing originally referred to uh, hawks shaking their feathers, you know, just kind of getting
1: them all in the order mm-hmm. before they yeah. take. Off, or something,
2: yeah, isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: your daughter. That's is... why I love
2: your show. Thank I learn you. things
1: every time I listen, Michelle. Your daughter <laughs> oh, is not thanks. alone in thinking that it's Rebel Rouser, by the way. Is That's that right? True. Okay. Yeah, I found it in the egg corn database. This is a list of terms where people have kind of misunderstood one word and replaced it with another one that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. And other Mm -hmm. people also have not only said rebel rouser, but they've said rebel raiser, R-A-I-S-E-R. Like they are raising Um, rebels.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. yeah.
1: So she's not alone. It's a not that common, but it's common mm-hmm. enough that it's been recorded by linguists.
2: Right, because mm-hmm. it makes sense. It's, right, it, it could sort make of does it makes some
1: sense. sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but the right. the rabble right. wouldn't have to be rebels. No, though, you know, I That's mean, right. like a demagogue. <laughs> they could, could be loyalists. Right, a demagogue yeah. could rouse the rabble.
1: The rabble is just the people not in power, right? The ones out in the street They're waving the placards like, and yeah. shouting the chants.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for sorting that out for us. Well, we're happy to do it.
1: Thank you for calling, Michelle. Really appreciate it.
2: Sure thing. Take Thanks a lot. Have a bye
1: great bye. day. Okay. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email us at words at waywardradio.org and talk
4: to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D.
2: Hi, you have a Way With Words.
4: Hi, I'm Gary Gladstone, and I am from Carmel, New York, in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley.
2: Oh, lovely. Carmel.
1: Welcome to the show, Gary.
4: Well, thank you. My dad he used to brag about his Knuckle down, screw bony tight technique to win uh, when he when he played marbles back in Denver in 1915, and I never found out what it was. But for years, this saying rolled around my head. I wondered what it meant, but Dad never explained its meaning. So uh, I had this mental image of playing a winning shot, and then having to go to the emergency room with bleeding knuckles or something. (laughs) Oh, no. So I'm waiting for a revelation now for almost 75 years. All I could think of was that the expression sounded all that time a little like something you could be arrested for. So (laughs) I really want to know what he was talking about, if you guys have any idea about that. What was
1: the expression again?
4: Knuckle down, screw bony tight.
1: Knuckle down, screw bony tight. And so yeah. he played marbles. I'm assuming he was a child in 1915,
4: right? And he played marbles. The kids yes. Game. Yeah, he was ten, about 10 years old.
1: And somewhere between his generation and yours, the marble game disappeared, right? You didn't play it?
4: Uh, I, I I didn't play it. I never played it. I used to collect marbles because they were they were beautiful. The, right. I liked the swirling colors. I didn't want to get down on my hands and knees and do anything with them. Tell you the truth.
1: Well, fortunately, from his generation going back about 300 years, marbles was a great game for kids, a huge game. And I make it sound like there's just one. We're talking maybe a thousand different versions of marbles, and with those thousand versions of games of the game. There were thousands of slang terms and jargon that belonged to each little pocket of each little game and all all over the English-speaking world. So all that is to say, fortunately, variations of this term have been recorded in glossaries in the academic work of people who've studied marble language. Wow, I've never seen it as knuckle-down, screw-bony-tight. What I always see it as is knuckle-down, bony-tight. Knuckle-down, bony-tight. And the interpretation of this is in most common versions of marbles, it's a little like craps where there's a lot of shouting. But in marbles, you can kind of direct the play from the outside. So if we're all gathered around a circle, we've got the agates in the middle. These are kind of marble that you, you target. You can shout things to the guy who's currently shooting his marbles to hit them and make him do stuff. And if you shout at him, knuckle down, bony tight, you're telling him, First, you have to turn your hand upside down, palm up, knuckles down to the ground, so uh. shoot from that position, and you have to put your hand close to or on the ground. So you're kind of restricting their ability to have a free and easy throw. And there's a ton of these kinds of terms. So knuckle down, bony tight is kind of a really restrictive, very comp- – not complicated, but very like – um, you know, I, I don't want you to get your knocking marbles out of the middle and outside of the ring. So I'm trying to tell you what to do to, to, to do that.
2: Yeah, you might do that to somebody who's in the lead, right? Yeah, Like they're exactly. doing a lot better than everybody else. So they have to have some kind of thing to limit their movement.
1: There's all this language that you can throw at the other player to make them do what you want. That's just one of them
4: it's a whole culture i had no yeah. idea that it, marbles were that important then well
1: mm-hmm. if you're interested in this look for the publications of the american dialect society they had like one entire issue devoted to the language of marbles and it's a great stuff and and um it's a real it's a real interesting going deep diving into that and seeing how complicated the game could be one thing i wanted to say before we go it's strange to say that you could tell the other person what to do right we think of this as weird don't we
0: that if you're uh, shooting
1: yeah. that i can tell you what to do how to shoot the marble but the thing is it echoes what was happening in baseball. Baseball, the batter used to call the pitch and say what they wanted from the pitcher. It's very similar to that. <laughs> huh, yeah. I didn't know that. So there's a different kinds of different kinds of directing the play in order to to get the marble or the ball where you want it to go.
4: The fans do that now. Yeah. Don't they? <laughs> but they're never listened to. <laughs> Gee, guys, thank you. Now my blood pressure goes down and I can sleep tonight.
2: <laughs> well, hallelujah. We're glad to help. Thanks call for Call us some Gary. other time, really okay? Appreciate
4: it. Oh you know, uh, I'll call next time. I'm wondering where the expression losing your marbles comes from. That's, <laughs> thank that's, you, sir. That's later. <laughs> Take care. Now.
2: All right. Bye bye, Gary.
1: Super. Bye bye. I'm sorry I got so excited there.
2: Oh, it's it's wonderful stuff, Can right? I
1: read a list to you of some marble terms just to kind of give people a taste of what's out there? Oh,
2: my gosh. Aggie, yes.
1: backkill and crooks, dead, dog up, drop up, fat, fudge, goes, keeps, kicks, kill, knucks, lag, marvels, poke up, rounds, slips, tall, tracks, vents. I mean, and that's like a fraction of like the, I think there are at least 1,500, maybe 2,000 terms here
2: for for
1: marbles and variations on marbles.
2: Very rich language. And didn't we get playing for keeps from marbles? I believe it is, yeah,
1: because you do in most versions of the game get to keep the marbles that you knock out of the ring. Yeah. Or that you knock into the hole, depending on which version you're playing.
2: Yeah, so rich. Well, join our Away With Words Poetry Slam here, 877-929-9673. Hi, you have Away With Words.
5: Uh, Hi there. Um, This is Tim Kirko. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska.
2: Hi, Tim. Welcome from Omaha. What's going on there in Omaha?
5: So I had a question about the word anymore. Um, Because in the Midwest, I've heard like it used in kind of a different way than it is conventionally in a more positive sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Like usually you would say like, we don't go to Walmart anymore. Mm -hmm. Meaning we used to go to Walmart, but now we don't. But in the Midwest, sometimes... It said, anymore, we go to target, meaning mm-hmm. now we go to target.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
5: I guess I'm just kind of wondering where this adaptation of the word came from or why that happens.
1: You've got a good ear because that's known as positive anymore, and it's something studied by, by linguists in the United States. The best guess that they have is that it came to us from the Irish or the Scots-Irish because it it pops up particularly commonly in parts of the country that were settled by the Scots-Irish. Kentucky, Tennessee, my father in Missouri says it. It shows up in uh, Oklahoma and Ohio and Iowa and and quite a few other places like that. It is not altogether that common, though, and it's not particularly southern, but you were right on that, too. It's, It's mainly Midwestern. Basically, it means nowadays. Anymore, you can't get a good pizza in this town, meaning nowadays you can't get a good pizza in this town.
5: Sure. Yeah. That's really interesting.
1: Right? Yeah. And where did you hear this? And, and i got to say, my father probably said that my whole life, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s and I started studying language that I noticed it, so I'm impressed that you noticed it.
5: My grandparents, who live in eastern Iowa, around Dubuque, they, uh, they use it occasionally, but I didn't notice it either until I was having a conversation with a teacher when I was in high school about the Midwestern dialect, and he brought up this positive anymore, and that's when I started noticing it every once in a while.
4: Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. and then it's you still hear it
2: everywhere, right?
4: <laughs> and it's not it's yeah. not
1: gone either. It's still the younger generations will still have it. Well, Tim, I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, take care now. Thanks, Thanks for a calling. Lot, Tim. Appreciate right, it. You too. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Well, if you've noticed something about the way people talk, give us a call, 877-929-9673 and talk about it with us, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, the other day I met a dog named Bolo.
4: Like a Bolo that the
1: police put out?
2: Oh, you knew that term. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, why would you name your dog after a tie? <laughs> but yeah, Bolo.
1: Yeah, it's an acronym, right? It is
2: indeed right. for...
1: Um, be... be on the lookout. Exactly. Yeah.
2: I thought that was a great name for a dog. I like... read
1: a lot of detective stories. Bolo's oh, a yeah, Bolo okay. thing. And listen to the Philip Marlowe yeah. mysteries sometimes at night. There okay, was well, Bolo. see, I
2: don't do that. I just meet dogs with weird names. but Good the... dogs, right? Well, I mean, Did what ra- better name for a watchdog than Bolo, Did right? you
1: rate the dog? Do you know that song, the, the Twitter handle, We Rate Dogs, and always like 12 or 13 out of 10. Did you rate the dog? Oh, I should have. Yeah. 14 he was a forty
2: eleven. He's a great dog. Yeah. 877 You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And I'm Grant Barrett. And on the line from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi,
0: Grant. Hi, Martha. Hello. What is up, dude? Well, you know what? I was just thinking recently about uh, certain events that uh, occur periodically, and one of them is this thing called March Madness. Mm. You're familiar with it, this college basketball tourney. That's
2: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what I love about this event, March Madness, is that it's not just it's not just one day. It's sort of like it's like Yule It's an ongoing event that lasts for a long time. <laughs> I th- I think each month should have within it a little mini season of some kind. Just to take the edge off of, you know, living, right? Uh-huh. I think I know where you're <laughs> so, going with this. Right. So to honor March Madness, we'll make sure that each monthly celebration is both a competition and that each has a name that starts with the month and an alliterative noun that begins with the same first two letters and ends in N-E-S-S. Okay. Got that written Okay. Down? Yeah. Okay. So- Good. So... Okay, for yeah. example, and you could even do this one as the first one if you know it. For example, let's have a festival where everybody wears a hat at a rakish angle and we decide who is the most lively and cheerful. It would be... Jaunty January. <laughs> January. Now remember, January jauntiness. Oh, January jauntiness. Jauntiness. Sorry. jauntiness, right. Don't forget the N-E-S-S, okay, in, uh, in, uh, in honor of March Madness. Very good. Very good. You count that right. as, as one for Knocked you. Knocked off one. January jauntiness. All right, how about this one? Let's have an event where we go down to the zoo and determine which of the carnivores is the most savage and brutal.
1: February ferociousness? (laughs) Yes, Yes, February ferociousness.
0: How about this one. Let's have an event where we determine whose words are the most suitable and fitting for different situations. Are we still? Are we doing March, or did we already do that? Uh, no, of, we, we skipped March because it's okay. already gotten March, okay, March. Um, I'm going
2: to say either April appropriateness or August augustness.
0: It is April appropriateness. Very good. How about this one? Let's give stinky things their due with a tournament to decide what items have the most offensive smells.
2: Malodorousness.
0: Yes, <laughs> May malodorousness. How about this one? A celebration of fruit put oranges and limes in your bracket as we squeeze them to determine which one has the most liquidy sweetness. (laughs) June juiciness. June juiciness. I can get behind that one in in various ways, I think. Uh, Next one. If you can't calm down, that's fine. We're planning a tournament, and if you are timorous and easily startled, you'll make it to the final four.
1: July jumpiness. Yes, July jumpiness. (laughs) July jumpiness.
0: (laughs) Yeah, another one that would be very interesting to watch. How about... Let's have an event where we judge things and how promising they are and how likely they are to produce favorable results.
2: August auspiciousness?
0: Yes, Ooh, August nice. auspiciousness. Well done. Let's have a celebration of those who are charitable. Amnesty International versus Doctors Without Borders, Oxfam America versus Habitat for Humanity. Which one puts others before their own needs the best?
2: <laughs> September servant leadership? <laughs> Mm. Uh, sir, S- service? S- September. September serviceness? Put others before your own needs. S- Sacrifice. Ab- self-abnegationness. S- S- self-sacrificeness?
0: No, I'm going to go with September selflessness. Oh. All right. get it too good. hard
2: again. No, Very
0: that's good. good. That's good. Now, I'm sorry to say we're taking October off. There's nothing going on in October. <laughs> you cannot find an adjective that begins with O-C and ends in N-E-S-S. At least nothing useful. Here's the next one. Toddlers on airplanes, rejoice. Upstairs neighbors with a heavy tread, your time has come. We're going to determine who is the loudest and most annoying. November noisiness. (laughs) Yes, November noisiness. Very good. Finally, are you two-faced? A professional spy, perhaps? We're going to have a competition to see who is the most double-dealing, scheming, Machiavellian trickster around. Ooh. December deceptiveness? Deceptiveness, Yeah. Very good. I had four possibles for this one. Oh, Really? (laughs) We could have December deceitfulness, Ah, mm -hmm. December deviousness, Mm. or December – oh, no, I can't actually use this last one. Duplicitousness doesn't have the D-E. Mm -hmm. But I like yours. I like yours. Very good. Nice work. Let's get started on these celebrations right away. Party! Party! (laughs) Where's my bracket? (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thanks. Really appreciate it.
2: And if you'd like to talk with us about any aspect of language whatsoever, the number to call is 877-929-9673 or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Oh, hi. Hi. Who's this?
6: This is uh, Tom Christo. I'm uh, in Council Bluffs, Iowa.
2: Well, great. Welcome to the show, Tom. How can we help you?
6: My grandmother was born in 1899, and um, she used this term um, when she wasn't feeling very well. Not not really sick, but just kind of, you know, not quite right. She said, I'm feeling punk. And I thought, well, okay. And once in a while, she'd say, I'm, I'm feeling kind of punk. I'm not really sure which the correct Way to use it was, but mm-hmm. and then one time when I was feeling bad, I, I said to my mother oh i'm I'm feeling kind of punky, and she's like, No, that's not really the way you use that word it's, you're either feeling punk or kind of punk. I'm like, okay, there's rules for this apparently mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and here you are feeling not well
6: <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so um yeah, I just kind of wondered what the what the origin of that was, and if you had heard it before, you know I know that uh, punk is kind of like a low-grade hoodlum or something, and I'm pretty sure my grandmother wasn't feeling like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was also this stuff we had when we were kids um, to light firecrackers, this little kind of compressed wood stick that would smolder, and you'd, you know, would just keep a, a little red bit on the end to light firecrackers and stuff. But I don't think that's what she meant either.
2: And you call that a punk? Yeah. Interesting.
6: Yeah, they used to give them to you free when you bought firecrackers.
1: But that one actually is connected to the punk that you're talking about, and I'll tell you how. Because there's okay. another punk that you didn't mention, which is old rotted wood. And so the punk that you use to light fireworks is similar to that because it catches fire very easily. Ah. And that old rotted wood, punk is an adjective, not punky. Like like your mother said, mothers are mm-hmm. always Right became a kind of a generic term meaning bad or inferior or second rate and and wow. then it was a little more specialized and started to refer to being unwell or out of sorts or sick or kind of queasy or nauseated that sort of thing and that's mm-hmm. kind of the progression of that punk adjective okay yeah cool right and it, yeah, it's got I... at least 100 years on it we there's a fellow by the name of George Age Ade ADE who wrote a book in 1896 where he uses the kind of uh second-rate version of the word, and he's well-known as a slangster. He had just a great ear for it and worked into all of his stories. But I would bet that it's older than that. But 100 years is not bad for a term like this.
6: But nobody really uses it that way anymore. I, no. don't, I mean, I never hear it. I don't, no, I don't it pops think.
1: up in Stephen King novels. He always had, has a great ear for dialect and unusual expressions that make sense in context, and he doesn't have to explain very much. But but no, outside of literary uses, it's it's not that common mm-hmm. anymore. That's what we've got, Tom. By the way, you're keeping good company if you're still using that punk as an adjective. Uh, Hemingway used it in letters. Sinclair Lewis used it in his novels. Stephen King, of course. Um, William Volman, who's much more recent, who writes these giant, complicated books. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe there's some grandmas and grandpas out there saying it, but mostly it's gone.
6: Yeah, I well, I, I never use it in everyday speech myself. So Yeah, you'd be just misunderstood,
1: figured, wouldn't
6: you? I would, yeah. I don't... I, I think people would just look at me like, oh, he's kinda he's kinda crazy.
1: Well you you might be that, but not for the use of punk. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for your call. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for calling. Oh well sure Well, Thank you guys. Take care now. Bye bye. All right. Mm-hmm. Bye mm-hmm. bye. Bye bye. Well, we you know out your way, they say things that strangers think are weird. Call us, we'll talk about it, we'll make you feel better. 877-929-9673.
2: Hello, you have a way
1: with words.
7: Hi. My name is Dustin Aguilar. I'm calling from Denton, Texas.
2: Hey, Dustin, welcome from Denton.
1: What can we do for you, Dustin?
7: Well, I would like to know if you guys have heard of a linguistic phenomenon called freezes, uh, where we tend to say word pairs uh, in the same order, specifically like black and white. You don't really hear people say white and black, a white and black TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's more black and white TV. Also, uh, something like spaghetti and meatballs opposed to meatballs and spaghetti. And so... My question is, one, have you heard of this phenomenon? Uh, Two, what is your opinion about it? And uh, three, uh, is there some sort of age-related aspects to these freezes? Is there geographical aspects? And I ask because I heard a 12-year-old girl say that she wanted to eat uh, eggs and bacon instead of what I would say, bacon and eggs. And so I'm had that question about the freezes to see what you guys thought about it.
1: That's super cool. How did you hear about freezes? Uh, I've heard of them, but I just, you, most people don't know that, that lingo. Are you a linguistics insider?
7: Uh, yes. I got a master's in linguistics from the University of North Texas uh, in Denton, and one of my professors was Hodge Ross, mm-hmm. who uh, is one of two people who coined the phrase freezes and have written papers about it. So I've heard him give two talks on freezes, and um, I thought that would be a good away-with-words topic.
1: Absolutely. Freezes are super interesting. Uh, freezes are also known as binomials or irreversible pairs, right? And, and there may be even some other terms for them. And um, mm-hmm. there's two really interesting things about your question. One is, yay, let's talk about freezes. Things like... When you say yes or no, we mostly don't say no or yes, right? Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of this stuff is so ingrained, we don't even think about it. I say, oh, I, you know, I go to that park now and then. I don't say then and now. There's a ton of this. The other thing that's interesting about your question is we have talked on this show about bacon and eggs before, and I think you mm-hmm. have zeroed in on one that is not as fixed as the others. It is sometimes eggs and bacon, and it's not particularly age-graded. There's nothing geographic to it. It's just some people say bacon and eggs, and some people say eggs and bacon. Mm-hmm. people
2: say ham and eggs, I don't hear eggs and ham unless you're reading Dr. Seuss, <laughs> There we right? go, right?
1: Uh, yeah. But in general, as you probably learned, freezes tend to follow some set, like certain things come before certain other things. For example, the definite thing comes before the indefinite, positive before mm-hmm. negative, close comes before far away, above comes before below, on before under, up before down, large before small, male before female. Um, mm-hmm. tend, they tend to do this. But with bacon and eggs... It doesn't really fit any of those, you know, X before Y. It doesn't really so. It's more tradition than it is like that internal word order thing that all native speakers of English develop automatically. Hedge
7: mm-hmm. mentioned that uh, there tends to be a meat first uh, rule. That you mentioned meat first, and I've also noticed that you, we tend to mention, as far as food goes, main dish first and side item second. And that's why I think we get the spaghetti and meatballs instead of meatballs and spaghetti, because I think maybe we conceive of spaghetti as the main dish, meatballs as the side. Maybe that's why bacon and eggs can go either way,
1: because yep. mm.
7: bacon is the more meaty, but it seems like a side.
1: That's right. Yeah. You've, you've really got it there, too. You're just I love your perceptions, Dustin. You're really doing this right. Because we have bangers and mash, we have ham and eggs, we have um, meat and potatoes. These are Mm -hmm. kind of standard set. Burger and fry. Burger and fry, standard set constructions. But if I get three eggs with two slices of bacon, which one's the most important? Right? Or am I getting six slices of bacon and one egg? Right? Maybe that has something to do with it. But these X before Y, you know, um, new before old or definite before indefinite, those are just general and usual. They're not absolute. For example, I said one of them was male before Mm. female. We will almost always say kings and queens, but we would say bride Mm -hmm. and groom, right?
2: And also Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yeah, we say ladies and gentlemen. So there are other places where. The order, and I don't think this applies to bacon and eggs, but there are other places that the order has to do with phonology, what sounds better. Uh, It has to do with word Mm -hmm. stress, you know, what sounds better in another way, number of syllables, or even just plain politeness. And I think a bride and groom and ladies and gentlemen are about politeness. Mm -hmm. A wedding day is seen as the bride's day more than it's seen as the groom's day, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, boys and girls.
1: Boys and girls is one where the male is first kind Uh of following the the typical pattern. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
7: I feel like I hear girls and boys sometimes.
2: I'm girls. hearing it more. I yeah,
1: think. and there is a mm-hmm. there is a. I left off the other one. There is um, there is a tradition of trying to upset these long-standing binomials or irreversible pairs in order to mm-hmm. remove or reduce some of the inherent sexism in English. Yeah, and so, lesbian
2: and gay versus gay and lesbian. There
1: we go. Girls and boys. So we just will become used to saying girls and boys, and then boys and girls will sound really weird to our ears after a while.
7: So. I wanted to know, when people say your two names together, what's the order that you, that, uh, you say? What do people usually well, say?
1: Well, we established early on, I know we talked about it, it's Martha and Grant. Martha is uh, has a little more experience in the world than I do. Notice how I said that. This is beauty
2: and age <laughs> is what we're talking about. Beauty and about. age. Uh-huh. Beauty and
1: age. Also, she joined the, f- the program before I did.
2: Uh-huh. But well, we, we do mix it up from time to time. Yeah, we do occasionally.
1: Right? But it depends what we're doing. But mostly it's Martha and Grant. Right. Yeah. yeah. Grant's more meaty. I'm
2: more, more <laughs> <Eggie>. eggy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Great. Well, thank you very much. Dustin, thank Thanks you so much for your call. Take care. you have a good day. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Bye-bye. Call us with what you've been thinking about when it comes to language. 877-929-9673 or email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
8: Hi. Hi, this is uh, Donna, and I'm calling from Kerrville, Texas.
2: Hi, Donna. Welcome to the show. Hey, Donna. What's up?
8: Well, I'm so glad to get to talk to you guys. I love your show. Thank you. Um, I am a, a freelance editor, and most emphasis on the free most of mm-hmm. the time. I understand that. <laughs> um, and uh, that's, I'm very aware of words and the way people use them, and I'm always catching typos and grammatical errors and things. Um. And I have been a little, um, found a little annoying recently when I I had seen a phrase that I always heard of as um, free reign, R-E-I-N. And I've read some well-known newspaper people and and others who have uh, said free reign, R-E-I-G-N. And I thought, no, that's not right. But then I got to thinking about it. That phrase could be appropriate, depending on how you want to—either phrase could be could be appropriate, I think. So I wondered what your take on it is and what the, the uh, actual original use was.
2: Mm-hmm. How, how is it used in a sentence?
8: Well, uh, giving someone free reign to do as they wish.
2: Mm-hmm. And so you think that it's the R E I N, like the reins on a horse. way, I've always
8: used it. Right. But then this R E I G N has kind of come up recently, and uh, I'm thinking maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it could be used in both both ways.
2: Well, you're right. Uh, free rein with uh, the four-letter version, R E I N, has what? been around for much longer, and it it means what you might guess it would mean, which is to um, to give more. Uh, uh, what would you say? More more, more rain, rain to yeah. the horse. Yeah, you give him have yeah. his head. Yeah, give him his head. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of many many uh, horse terms we have in the language, and. Uh, uh-huh. Using free reign like uh, like a royal reign is a much later development, a, a misunderstanding, really, of right.
1: it. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. And and I would say that the REIGN, the royal reign, is in this case almost always wrong unless you're intentionally making a pun mm-hmm. about royalty. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. The R E I N okay. version still is by far and away the best choice in all. Every piece of writing I think that I've ever seen, except where somebody okay. was making the pun.
2: Right, right. <laughs> okay. Well, since you opened the pun door, you, you huh? know no, that. Oh <laughs> no. You know that story about the king who had so many wild animals in his house. He'd love to go out and, and you know, gather game and bring them back to the, to the castle. And it finally got to be such a problem that the rain was called on account of game. <laughs> That's terrible. I know it was. I, I apologize. Puns. <laughs> I That's one wonderful. After that one. <laughs> thank you for that one.
8: I'll add that to my store.
2: <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, maybe when you're editing, you can put that in the margins or something. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Donna, thank you so much for your call.
2: Well,
8: thank you for your show and uh, carry on, please. Thank you very much. We now. do.
1: <laughs> bye bye. Thanks, Donna. Bye bye. Two kinds of carrying on going on here. Yeah,
2: there's some carrying on. <laughs> yeah. But definitely reins like the reins of a horse.
1: R-E-I-N is the one that you mm-hmm. want almost always.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you give somebody, a, you know, you have somebody on a tight rein. That right. means still it,
1: R-E-I-N. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 877-929-9673. Email words at wewordradio.org. Talk to us on Twitter at w a y w o r d and talk to us on Facebook. Find our Facebook group where you can join thousands of other fans talking about the show, talking about language. More conversation about what we say, how we say, and why. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. I've been following a discussion about language online recently that's pretty sad and serious, but I think it's really useful. This is on the website called The Mighty. This is a website where people discuss issues about disability and disease and mental illness, And Kyle Freeman wrote an essay on there. She lost her brother to suicide several years ago. And she had some interesting thoughts about the language we use to discuss suicide. She wrote, As time passes and the shock subsides, I've discovered that I bristle each time I hear the expression committed suicide. Historically, in the United States and beyond, the act of suicide was deemed a crime. Until as recently as 1963, six states still considered attempted suicide a criminal act. Thankfully, laws have changed, but our language has not, and the residue of shame associated with the committal of a genuine crime remains attached to suicide. My brother did not commit a crime. He resorted to suicide, which he perceived in his unwell mind to be the only possible solution to his tremendous suffering. So to say that someone committed suicide feels offensive to me, and I'm not easily offended. I don't judge people for using this expression. Until August 17, 2007, I did the same. But now I don't, and I humbly ask that you consider the same. When you have occasion to talk about suicide, please try to refer to someone dying by suicide. And she argues that by shifting our language around suicide, we have the power to reduce some of the shame carried by the survivors of suicide. And Grant, the discussion that followed in the comments was really interesting to me. A lot of people were saying, oh, you're parsing this expression too closely. You're you're breaking it down too much and focusing on the language too much. And other people were saying... Hey, you know, it bothers her and it probably bothers other people. Why not respect that? Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about
1: I do. I think dying by suicide is a great replacement. And it doesn't have what I sometimes feel when people have these essays where they want to change the language because there's something that bothers them. A lot of times their suggestions are weak or tinged with another mistake Mm -hmm. or are, are not really fully addressing the problem. Dying by suicide to me sounds like a great replacement that you can't argue with really yeah it does it sounds like a, to me it's a what's well, grammatical for one thing it's uh-huh. it's perfect English for another and we do talk about um, dying by cop you ever heard this expression uh-huh. right yeah. um, or suicide suicide by, su- cop. Suicide by cop and mm-hmm. it has an echo of uh, somebody seeking out um, ways to die and choosing suicide mm-hmm. when they could have chosen another
2: mm-hmm. way that's really interesting I at first I was thinking that way and then I was looking at some of the comments and some of the people were saying, you're just, you're just making too much of the word commit. Yes, you can commit a crime, but mm-hmm. you can also commit to another person. Mm-hmm. You can also uh, commit uh, to a cause or something mm-hmm. like that. It's really a, a benign word, but um, then I went back to thinking the way that you were thinking mm-hmm. about it, and um, I think my feelings are pretty much summed up by Jennifer Michael Hecht, the cultural historian, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote The book Stay, A History of Suicide and the Philosophies Against It. Uh, I wrote her for her thoughts about this and I wanted to share them. She was suggesting the same thing that uh, commit is a word that has a life outside of just the idea of, of crime. So she doesn't think that that's really a big deal. But then she added, It's a calcified phrase. That is, I don't think people quite hear its components anymore. And whenever that happens, I'm in favor of changing it up. Lately, I avoid using commit suicide because I know that some people have said they don't like it and I'm not interested in distressing anyone over the issue. I think dying by suicide is better for a different reason because it's more blunt and doesn't let death hide behind other words.
1: Ooh, that's beautiful doesn't let death hide behind other words. Yeah. And we do find that again and again throughout um, English and different euphemisms for death. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Where we... It's a fact that we will all face. Right. But we hide it right. until that last moment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I liked the way that, that she's suggesting we honor the survivor's experience, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, that their loved one died. But I'm sure we'll have lots of responses to this. We'd love to hear what you think about this term. Is committed suicide an offensive term to you? Is it uncomfortable? Do you, Does it bother you? Let us know. You can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org or call us 877- Hi, you have A Way With Words.
9: Hi, this is Lisbeth in Hudson, New York.
2: Hi,
1: welcome. What can we do for you?
9: Well, my boyfriend was born and raised on Long Island. He hasn't lived there for 25 years, but still every so often he says something that I think to myself, that's exactly the opposite of what I would say. And the one that's really in question right now is that he'll say that Three people called out at work today, meaning they didn't come in or they called in sick. And I say, well, three people called in at work today.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Called in sick.
9: Called in sick.
2: Uh Mm -hmm. So he
9: says called out, which I don't understand.
2: (laughs) And what's your background?
9: Actually, English is my second language, but I've lived in a lot of places. I've lived in Canada, and I've lived all across the U.S. Uh Uh-huh. So, I've heard a lot of different variations. And when he said that, that was actually the first time I've said it. And I've asked people about it. And a couple of people who live down Long Island Way kind of go, Yeah, I've heard that, but I've never heard anyone else use it.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can settle this. Are you sitting down?
9: Oh, don't tell me that.
2: <laughs>
1: Well, uh, it's good news and bad news both, all right? The thing is, both are in common use in the United States. Both calling out sick and calling in sick are widely used. However, calling out sick is more common in the New York City metropolitan area. And okay. uh, maybe a, a few states here and there, Philadelphia, a little south, New Jersey, of course. Um, so it is a thing. It has been recorded. Linguists and lexicographers do know about it. And probably a million or more people say it. Call out sick. Okay. Yeah, she sounds so
2: but a million out of what
1: a million can't dismiss (laughs) a million people. What we're looking at here is how you divide the phrase up, all right? So you're calling in sick, are you calling out sick? Do you hear the division there? So, one place we have a two word phrasal verb to call in sick, and the other one we have just a single word verb to call out sick, and out sick kind of is the this is the collocation together, those two words belonging together and the other one, calling in, are the two words that belong together.
9: Well that totally makes sense then.
2: I I have to say I always called in sick. Called in sick. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm i I'm because, maybe because I was thinking of the excuse. I was thinking more about what was going on in the office yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. calling yeah. saying well, I'm going to be out yeah. sick. I'm more focused on the person I'm talking to explaining that I have strep throat or something. But
1: I know why the people that you talked to who are also from Long Island didn't necessarily really say that they use that because it's not that common. But I remember distinctly running into this when I worked in New York City. It was okay. a thing where some people called mm. out sick and some people called in sick. Mm-hmm.
2: And then they would go to the pharmacy to get their prescription, and would they stand online or in Well, in New in York, York City, line? you
1: wait online. <laughs> right. You probably oh, wait yes. rather had, than stand online. We had online. that
2: discussion
9: very early yeah. in our relationship when he stood online with me standing next to him in line. So.
2: <laughs> oh, my. And your posture <laughs> yeah. was
1: very different. <laughs> yeah, I do that so, now. Like, I still stand online. Right. My years in New York City means I still stand on line even now, and it bl- I blurted out without thinking. And I'm like, "Oh, they're probably." I think I'm really weird. Wow. Yeah.
2: I'm interested that you solved that problem early in your your relationship. <laughs> I mean, you you resolved that uh, you were going to say it differently.
9: It was very early, and it didn't break us up. So yes. <laughs> okay.
1: So so well, that's good. So the, to recap, the short version is he's fine to say calling out sick. It's just not as nearly as common as calling in sick.
9: Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah,
1: our pleasure, Elizabeth. Thanks for calling. And, and
9: maybe I'll hide this episode from
1: him. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, go for it.
2: I'm with you. <laughs> Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you.
9: Bye.
2: Well, do you have a dispute in your relationship about language? We'd love to hear about it. So call us at 877-929-9673 or send the story in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, this is Karina Osford from Jackson, Wyoming. Karina from Jackson? Yes. Welcome to the show. What can we do for you? Well, I had a
8: conversation with a friend of mine a while back. It actually happened right after the election. And she was saying that, I just don't understand it. He's such a wingnut. Then she sort of paused and she said, why do we use the word wingnut for people that do crazy things? Because wingnuts are really useful. They're handy. They're smart. So why do we use this word to describe something that's kind of out there? So
1: So I I have no idea. why do we call certain people on the political spectrum wingnuts when that little metal piece that we use to hold things together is so useful? Exactly. You know, what's funny is that this term really, really came into its own after the 2000 election. Do you remember this? All the hullabaloo after Bush v. Gore and all that, and there was a lot of rancor. It reminds me very much of the 2016 political campaigns. just a lot of angry chatter back and forth. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And and at the time, I looked into this term. I helped William Sapphire come up with some stuff on this for his column that he was writing for the New York Times. And I did a political slang dictionary in 2003. So I've dug into this before. And what's really interesting is it's pretty simple. It's just a shortening of the term right-wing nut, and nut meaning a person who is out of their nut or out of their head. That means not not expressing, not having common sense or common behavior. Mm-hmm.
2: Or have a screw loose. <laughs> yeah, or have a screw loose.
1: So, so wing nut used as it is today is nearly always somebody on the right side of the political spectrum. And there's a wide variety of matching terms on the left, <laughs> such as, you know, pinko commie or, or left wing loon or what have you. But, um, fruit bat. Fruit bat, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just a shortening of right wing nut. Huh. Yeah, that's I it. had
8: no idea.
1: Pretty simple, that's right? Really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
8: that is really simple. Huh. So well, no b- thank you so much.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. It's funny though, as 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 wingnut continues to be used, I just don't see I don't see the matching left terms quite as often. They come up with all new ones every four years, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that was my question. are so much more creative. Yeah,
1: we, you know, the world is complicated and interesting, and why just call each other the same insults over and over, and we can come up with new ones.
8: I know. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this lesson. I didn't realize it was actually just a political term. I thought it was something that was used for other things. No,
1: yeah, it's just a, mainly a political term. Thanks so much for calling, Karina. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And terms for the center are really rare. Did you know that? Like, there's things like fence sitter and the man trying to ride two horses and things like that. But, like, really snappy zingers for people mm. who won't choose a side, those are independents. Those are really, really mm. rare.
2: What about mugwump?
1: Mugwump. That's what's that? That's like an old muckety muck, isn't it, it?
2: Well, isn't that somebody who's, who's sitting on a fence and their mug is on one side and their wump <laughs> is on the other? Am I wrong? I don't, I, don't,
1: know. I don't remember that you one. recall something. I remember the like term, that. but I don't remember that. That sounds. <laughs> unlikely origin I feel story like I've but seen a I'll cartoon. let it go yeah, this it time. could be it
2: could be <laughs> unlikely origin but i, I have this Mug mental whomp. picture of, of <laughs> my on one side womp on the other
1: <laughs> hilarious
2: 877-929-9673. If you're feeling out of place, you might say, "Oh, I was a fish out of water," or mm-hmm. something like that. In Spanish, you say, "I was como un pulpo en un garaje." Which means
1: octopus in a I don't know yes, what that last word yes. is garage garage
2: <laughs> an octopus in a garage that's pretty much out of place <laughs> it could happen it has happened right because Some they're guy... smart
1: they escape right
2: yes yes I actually saw a photograph um, on the news
1: in a garage
2: in a garage in Spain in, in South Florida no it was South <laughs> okay. Florida during the rains yeah
1: eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three
2: Hello, you have a way with words.
1: Hello, how are you guys doing today?
2: Doing well. Who is this and where are you?
10: Uh,
1: My name is Matt Ernst and I'm
10: calling today from Red Lodge, Montana.
1: Red Red Lodge. Lodge, Montana. Welcome to the show, Matt. What is up?
10: My wife and I have a little thing that we would say to each other and we both assumed that the other one got it from the other one. So we will call each other once in a while when you catch the other, not in a major infraction, but doing something a little practical joke or something, a sneaky Pete will say, oh, you sneaky Pete. And she said that to me one day. I said, you got that from me. She goes, no, my mom said it. And so I grew up here, and my mom say sneaky Pete. She grew up here, and her mom say sneaky Pete. And I asked my mom about it, and she had no idea where it came from, and she thought that her mother had said it when she was a child. So my question is, who's Pete?
1: Why is he so
2: sneaky? <laughs> oh my gosh, I need a chart. I... <laughs> <laughs> sneaky
1: Pete. And so, what is this? This you are like sneaking into the cabinet to get somebody else's special treat, like their cookies, or um... exactly,
10: exactly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't refer to somebody that was breaking into your car, or committing a heinous crime, as sneaky Pete. But yeah, if you're. <laughs> Exactly. Trying to sneak a cookie off my plate or pull a practical joke on me. It's, oh, you sneaky Pete. Or the
1: like thing we that. do in yeah. my house where my wife and I will silently move the basket of laundry to the other person's <laughs> side of the bed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> As a hint.
1: That would be that would be a sneaky Pete infraction, I think, yeah. That
2: sounds like Sneaky Grant.
1: <laughs> no, she does it, too. <laughs> uh, she's like, oh, the cats were there. Right. There? right. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the cool thing about sneaky Pete is we do have some recorded uses of it. Pretty much like you guys say it, at least as far back as the nineteen sixties, we have people using the verb sneaky peat, meaning to sneaky peat around, which means oh. to pussyfoot or kind of like act suspiciously, that sort of thing. But um, we also have at the same time sneaky peek more or less is an adjective. It's really kind of more of a attributive noun, which just means suspicious or secret or, or um, confidential. But older than that still is a sneaky peat that refers to alcohol. Usually really bad alcohol, like rotgut, or a, one of the sources Uh-oh. has it listed as a, a fortified muscatel, whatever that means. Doesn't <laughs> um, <laughs> sound good. But it's terrible, terrible wine. Sometimes it's used in prisons to refer to the pruno, the wine that they make from raisins, whatever food they can filch from the cafeteria in prisons. <laughs> but it's been going on since at least like 1941 that Sneaky Pete is also referred to an alcohol. But the connection there in my mind is it's an alcohol that you might put, say, in a, a boot flask or that you would keep from the authorities or the cheap stuff that you could only buy at the really terrible corner store in the bad neighborhood because they don't check your ID because you're under 21. You know what I'm saying? It's like that kind of... It's not alcohol that you serve at dinner with fine people. Not at all. But
10: it would refer to the actual alcohol. Yeah, it would refer to alcohol.
1: a bottle of Sneaky Pete. Mm -hmm. Okay. But older than that, older than that is a dance (laughs) called Sneaky Pete, which one of the sources from about 1904 describes as... An old time cakewalk two step now, do you know what a cakewalk is?
10: No, I know what a two stop two step is, but I'm not familiar with a cakewalk.
1: So a cakewalk is kind of like musical chairs with dancing couples. You have couples dancing, the music plays. And whenever you stop, um, you're standing on a square or a marker on the floor. Whoever is on the square or the marker stays in. And if a couple's not on the marker, you leave. And the last couple, and they'll take one of these markers away for every song that they play, the last couple left wins the cake or all of the cakes, depending on how you do it. They're in the center of the room, usually made for the fundraiser by the, you know, the people who are there. Um, and anyway, so I'm, I've been thinking about this and thinking, what if the Sneaky Pete dance was so named because it better positioned you to win the cakes in the cakewalk? I don't know. Interesting. It's a it's a theory with no evidence. But You
10: were kind of, not being dishonest, but kind of trying to play a trick or make sure that you would yeah. by the win for yourself.
1: I don't know what it looks like, but what if it were a splay-leg two-step where you could actually stand on two squares at once? <laughs> <laughs> that would know. be a Sneaky Pete.
4: <laughs> well, it, it sounds
2: like there's no er Pete that there's no... Pete who inspired? No. These. My, my guess is that it has to do with the assonance of sneaky and Pete. Yeah,
10: interesting. Yeah. Well, that absolutely answers my question. I sure appreciate it. Yeah,
1: our pleasure. Our pleasure, but go go forth and know that there are many other people using sneaky Pete to mean suspicious or surreptitious behavior. Well,
10: oh, good. All right. Well, I will try not to do much
1: sneaky Pete around. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah, behave, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
2: All right, bye-bye. Call us 877-929-9673.